0: This story does contain a common curse word. Sensitive listeners, be advised. The holidays are fun, right? Lights, presents, food. But what if after all the eggnog and the champagne, what you're left with isn't a hangover, but the biggest decision of your life? And this, dear listener, is where our story begins. It's from an eight-part series called Shithole Country. Country. Yeah, they went there. It comes to us from an Anonymous Producer and our friends over at Radiotopia Presents. I'm going to share their first three episodes with you today. Four years ago, Afia, a 30-something Ghanaian-American living right here in the Oakland area, she went back to Ghana for the holidays. When she returns to the Bay, she flies directly into a media firestorm.
1: My name is Afia. And I don't know what to do. Let's start at the end. I'm 30, the youngest of three and the daughter of Ghanaian immigrants. Born in New York, currently living in California. If you were to read my Tinder profile instead of just swiping right in the bikini pic, which, hey, that's what it's there for, you'd know I stay loyal to Biggie over Tupac and Sailor Moon over Biggie. It's January 17th, 2018. Last week, I returned to San Francisco after a month in Ghana. i just spent the holidays with my parents and older brothers, all of us celebrating together for the first time in five years. The very next day, I awoke to some disturbing breaking news out of Washington. Mr. President, will you give
2: an apology for the statement yesterday?
1: Mr. President, did you're to African Asians, Mr. President, are you a racist? Mr. President, will you respond to these serious questions about the statement, sir? Mr. President, absolutely.
0: are talking to the President, you, sir? Mr.
1: President, are you a
0: racist? When we started to describe the immigration from Africa, that's when he used these vile and vulgar comments calling the nations they come from shitholes. I cannot believe that in the history of the White House, in that Oval Office, any president has ever spoken the words that I personally heard our president speak yesterday.
1: That's Dick Durbin, a Democrat and senator from Illinois. And for our purposes, an ear witness to the presidential scandal du jour. Reportedly, Trump went on to helpfully suggest that the U.S. bring in more folks from places like Norway, instead of Africa. I know, I know. Don't feed the troll, even if said troll is the leader of the free world. And yeah, I usually do keep it moving. When a CNN alert lights up my phone with the weekly reminder that our president has zero respect for large swaths of our nation, I just pray for a quick death in the nuclear holocaust he will likely trigger and go about my day. But this time, I paused again and again as I ate breakfast and waited for the bus and walked to one of my jobs. Shithole. What an ugly word. An ugly, interesting word. I started thinking of all the other words I've heard used for African countries. Primitive, poor, developing, third world. They're more polite, and they point to the same thing. Africa as a backwards monolith. Home of the hollow-eyed villagers crowding those depressing Sally Struthers commercials from the 90s. There are so many people who think of us that way. Even here in the Bay Area. Shout out to my liberal coastal elites. Some of them, too, consume only one African export, the deeply entrenched struggle narrative. I've seen a lot of them post pictures with brown school kids and call them beautiful, which we all know is code for these people need some help. Remember that awful holiday song from back in the day? The one with the starving Ethiopian children on the album cover? Where Boy George and Bono and Sting, oh God, why did you do it, Sting? They all say about Africa, these are the actual lyrics. The Christmas bells that ring there are the clinging chimes of doom. Nothing ever grows, no rain or rivers flow. Do they know it's Christmas time at all? Maybe Sting was kidnapped and forced to participate. I'm not really coming for Sting, though, or the liberal elites. I'm not even coming for Trump. Mostly, I'm looking at myself, yes, me, dripping in so-called first-world privilege, carefully ignoring faint stirrings of frustration, of contempt, when I'm in Accra and the electricity shuts off three times before noon. Primitive, developing, third world. But let's be clear. If my family and I are from one shithole country, then we're actually from two. In one, trash is strewn by gaping gutters lining the streets. The craters in the pavement will swallow your car and you'll never be heard from again. In the other, you're smeared by words, looks. An entire system expertly designed to chip away at your dignity. You can't quite put your finger on the mess, but if you live there long enough, you'll pull a Lady Macbeth on your soul, trying like mad to scrub the spots where it's touched you. I have an important decision to make. And, strange as it is to say, this shithole controversy might help me make it. What it illuminates gets to the heart of the question I ask myself every day during my month in Ghana. The question that permeated my conversations with my family. The question I'll pick apart over the course of this podcast. What does true development look like? Before we go any further, you should know that all of the names you'll hear including mine, our pseudonyms. That's how it has to be if we're going to be honest with each other. Okay. If all that sounds good by you, let's rewind. I know, I know, I know.
0: You're listening to Shithole Country I from Radiotopia know. Presents. Don't go anywhere, Snap Nation, because we're just getting started. afia has got a big decision to make. we return, she's going to tell us how it all began one month earlier. Get your passport ready. Going to Ghana. Snap Judgment. Stay tuned. I know, I
2: know, I know. I always think about the last
0: night. Welcome back to Snap Judgment. You're listening to Shithole Country, the newest series from Radiotopia presents. The last we left, our narrator, Afiya, she revealed that she was dealing with something big. Now we're gonna go to Ghana one month earlier in time and space to find out exactly what it is.
1: She tricked me. She totally played me. I stare at my mom, Agnes. The dusty, hammer winds straight from the Sahara don't do anything to cool the room. Sweat rolls down my neck, and the huge peacock tattoo curling around my mom's left shoulder glistens. She sighs and says it again. This apartment is yours. Your daddy and I want you to move in. Mom directs her gaze past the swanky marble floors and recessed lighting to the tropical greenery outside. She sweeps long braids away from her face and reclines in her white plastic chair, the kind that has the ubiquitous Jianyame god symbol twisted into it. God is everywhere in Ghana. He literally has your back Especially if you're my mom What is there for you in America, mommy if ya? Hmm? She laughs Her silver earrings and bracelets jangle merrily Scratch that Menacingly I should have known When I first graduated from college and moved out to Philly for a job My parents happily offered to drive And as they headed back They happily handed me the receipts for their gas and tolls. She's just so good at this. A minute ago, we were celebrating. The shiny new apartment complex we're standing in is hers. She had the plan. She wrangled the builders. She made all of this happen. My mom, the former seamstress. The Burger King coupon hoarder. The person making me an offer I'm not sure I can refuse. You can call me Effia. This is the story of my family and our lives in a quote unquote shithole country. Shit, 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 country. Home December 11th, 2017, Kodoka International Airport. I don't know why there's a live jazz band in customs, but I like it. After approximately a week on a plane, I've arrived in Ghana for only the fourth time in my 30 years of life. Burkina Faso to the north, Cote d'Ivoire to the west, Togo to the east, the Atlantic Ocean just a few miles away. Welcomed by the dulcet tones of... Yeah, that's the Backstreet Boys. You would never see this at JFK. I feel a surge of pride and the slow exhalation of a breath I didn't realize I'd been holding. Kind of like the first time I watched Ghana beat the US in World Cup soccer back in 2006. The soundtrack to their win was an American announcer's slightly incredulous reminders of Ghana's GDP. As I shuffle through the final set of airport doors, I'm hit by a wall of steamy nighttime air and jostling crowds. I'm back. Jalef rice and fried plantain on my lips, diesel exhaust in my nose, shades of my family in every face I see. And the voices, oh, this is the greatest accent in the world. I'm four years old and Dad is introducing me to the Berenstain Bears, I'm 12 and buried in mom's Estee Lauder-scented chest as she says, "atu." I'm 25, mom gazing at me and my brothers with murder in her eyes, muttering, Buna nimbia, papa," And I even miss that. Being back feels like walking into my bedroom after a long day at work. I shimmy out of my too-tight button-down and slacks and fall into my bed, into relief.
2: Why aren't you taking? Hey! Say hi! Hi! Hey. Oh, don't say hi that loudly.
1: Welcome to Ghana! <laughs> oh, my goodness. I thought I sent you the flight details Oh! I'm sorry. Mom and Dad. Agnes and i Huh? Take a shower. Oh, it does It's been a very long time. It doesn't matter. It matters. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: See? I, I he just cut off and bing. In the week. You know, we're getting out from the airport. So right now we are at airport going west.
1: Despite the holiday traffic, it only takes a half hour to drive to my parents' house. I clock chop bars, blasting Afrobeats, and billboards good. for New Year's Eve prayer marathons through my window as Mom and Dad paint their own picture of present-day Ghana inside the car. You There's lots yeah. of gesticulating, yeah, so. and the occasional. Reunions like this one have become a little more complicated since my parents sold their New York house in 2014. They moved back to Accra soon after, settling for good in a modest peach and periwinkle three-bedroom with the standard live-in housekeeper. My older brothers and I are still scattered across the U.S. Victor in Houston, Sammy in New York, me in the Bay Area. And since I'm not making bank working for Google, I was going to spend another December alone. Until my mom called with an uncharacteristically generous offer. Come to Ghana. Let's spend the holidays together for the first time in five years. Because that's what Christmas is about. Fellowship. Family. Love.
0: Affections are obscene and we keep those things indoors and hidden. That's one of my cousins.
1: He's reminding me of why it's so foolish to project sentimentality onto my very practical Ghanaian family.
0: My father, the first time he said to me, I love you, was when he dropped me off to college. So I had to call my brother up and be like, yeah, I think daddy's dying. It's like, what? Uh-huh. It's like, why? It's like, oh, because he said I love you. And there was like a dead silence in the phone for about 30 seconds. And then I heard click. And I was like, well, guess someone doesn't care about our father. He's going to be out of the will.
1: My cousin, of course, is right. Parents here don't have time for feelings. They got goals. And mom reveals her grand design the next morning, right after she addresses a pressing matter.
2: Hmm? Huh? What's with your haircut, your this, and the dress you're wearing when I'm walking with you, they think you are my maid. I'm sorry, Chief, you You'd be
0: surprised.
1: Really? Yeah. So- so this this very nice purple vintage dress that I bought in Oakland it's uh-huh, not... uh-huh. because you know what all
2: this nice all the uh, uh, affluent shop in America when they close they don't buy it yeah, 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 yeah. they bring it here yeah. they call it uh, uh, false. but that's not nice nice when we go to street you see you see how the people are dressed nicer than us they laugh at us all the time oh they say, you know what they call it Johnny just came. Johnny
1: yes. just came. Yeah. Johnny just came from America? Yeah. yeah. Johnny uh, just came. Or, or maybe from
2: Europe or somewhere, anything. Johnny just came. Right. not have
1: us. Okay. That's how it is. Okay, okay, I'm changing. Yeah. I'm changing. Ten minutes and far too much jewelry later, we're on our way. Mom will finally show me the construction project that's consumed her life for the past four years, her apartment and retail complex. Two stories and 20 units that she'll officially start renting on January 1st. This is why I bought a recorder and a microphone, to document my mom's transformation into a badass entrepreneur. But when we arrive at the site, it doesn't take long for things to go sideways. She and one of her new tenants who is almost definitely on her payroll, make it clear.
2: Why don't we stay in in, in, in in our country? We have to travel to make make life better, better. (laughs) And this is a beautiful place. Why why can't you, why wouldn't you 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 come and live here, why? Your mom went? Your mother is here, your father is here. Why wouldn't you come and live here? Okay, wait, this
1: turned. This took a turn. This is not about me. This is not about me. It's not about you, but why? Why would you not come here then?
2: Because you
1: don't like Because I have a life in California. What? You can have a life here too? Okay. Point, counterpoint. I've got great friends in the Bay. Half the year, I wake up to perfect weather, avocados are delicious, and even though it kind of killed me a little bit to admit it at first. So is the vegan food. And I'm definitely single, juggling freelance copywriting jobs, living paycheck to paycheck in a city where rent is a more predictable tragedy than an episode of The Handmaid's Tale. But in Ghana, I feel like an imposter. Here's a preview of a conversation I'll have in 10 minutes with one of the plumbers.
2: So, you
1: can't speak tree? Nope. Why? Wow. Mom and dad didn't teach me. Oh, what kind of teach me. wow. My parents wanted us to assimilate. So, outside of the necessary curse words, I'd never really learned tree or fonti. Here's another attempt at conversation I'll make two weeks from now.
2: What is the feminine of Kojo?
1: Ajwa. Good, good, good. I-I-G. I-I-G. I good, know good,
0: that. good. good. <laughs> <laughs> no, my idea.
1: I keep, I keep messing it up. Is it low-key kind of nice to be celebrated for operating at a zero-grade reading level? Of course. Brings me back to a better time when there were juice boxes and hugs on demand and Peter Jennings anchoring the evening news. But that's not real life. Real life is getting laid off from my copywriting job. Real life is running out of unemployment money in a month. Real life is obsessing over these facts and not noticing that i passed my mom her ringing phone with my culturally unacceptable left hand, which she promptly smacks into oblivion. My mom takes the call outside the apartment we've been standing in, and I watch her pace through the window. She did this. Did something even bigger. Moved from Accra to New York in her 20s knowing almost no one, I think. Uh, something like that. And then she uprooted her life again 40 years later. How did she
0: do it? You're listening to Shithole Country from Radiotopia Presents. Where we return, we'll Give up everything she's known in America to move to Ghana. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Snap Judgment. My name is Lim Washington, and you're listening to Shithole Country, an eight-part audio memoir from Radio Topper Presents. Now, this next segment, it does mention sex and drug use and references as animal cruelty. Please take care while listening, because when last we left, it was December 2017. Nafia was visiting her parents in Ghana. They just made her a huge offer. Leave America, move to Ghana, and you'll have help taking care of everything. Nafia isn't sure what to do, but she does know where she might find some answers.
1: I'm in Accra, standing in
0: the apartment
1: my parents want to give me. And I feel white. Like Blair Waldorf in Gossip Girl levels of white. Don't get me wrong, some of my cousins are living large. I just never really thought generational wealth was in the cards for our twig of the family tree. But apparently, the second my risk-averse father finally retired, my mom Agnes sat him down, gave him some real talk on one of her favorite subjects, money. As in, you know how you drove a taxi and I sewed wedding dresses for crazy brides and we scrimped to buy land in New York and Accra in the 90s? Guess which real estate market is burning up and which investment will sink us before we can force Sophia to give us grandkids? Now here we are, five years later, melting in the dusty heat on the outskirts of Ghana's capital, on a dirt road lined with bustling shops made from shipping containers where diesel trucks and stray goats do their best to navigate the deep divots. I walk out to the street to get a better look at the purple 20-unit apartment and retail complex. The worn carpeting and cracked tiles of our small suburban home, born again into the entrepreneurial high life. Traded in for skylights and stately ceiling fans and wainscoting and Damn, mom gets results. Like she's different. She, she's not like a typical Ghanaian. She's different, she and I like that. Yeah, she, she lives. She lives her life. My cousins speak truth. My mom Agnes is a peculiar sort of Ghanaian woman. Endlessly stylish, makeup perfectly applied to her heart-shaped face. Doesn't take shit from anyone. But that description could apply to 80% of the aunties in Ghana. Where my mom sets herself apart is in the lengths she will go to in order to be seen. Exhibit A. That time I got my first tattoo. My mom decided to follow suit, badgering me for months to set up an appointment for her. Mommy, Afia. Let them do a picture of my face on my arm. I want to always remember when I was young and beautiful. My brothers and I threatened to never again acknowledge her in public if she went that route. She eventually decided on a kaleidoscopic peacock splashed on her left shoulder. And we thanked God. Exhibit B. Recently, my mom got into it with her next-door neighbor. It was over a rooster that shrieked outside her window for hours in the middle of the night. I rigged his neck. You, you broke its neck? Yeah.
2: Twisted the neck, but it didn't die. It didn't, you know, it got up. It got up, it was okay. But then the owner saw that, so that was the end. We don't see any more roosts there.
1: So you, you were trying to send a message?
2: Yes, that's what I did, and it worked.
1: I was embarrassed of my mother growing up i shrink into myself during her regular, all-too-public showdowns with Costco cashiers over savings she'd allegedly been denied. Why was, is, everything she does so extra? Clearly, I have trouble taking my mom seriously. But there's no point in me weighing the pros and cons of a transatlantic move if I don't trust her. I need to understand what her angle is. Why did she build these apartments in the first place? So that evening, after a healthy serving of goat meat, foo-foo, and season five of 90 Day Fiancé, I ask her. I don't know a lot about mom's life before dad. She likes to roll her eyes and wave away those kinds of questions. Not because she wants to keep secrets. Really feels more like she doesn't think anyone would care about the answers. I once stumbled across an answer. I was 12, digging through the fireproof box in my mom's closet. I needed my birth certificate for a school project. When mom came home from work that night, I cornered her in the kitchen, stealing myself for the task ahead by channeling the spirit of my favorite show, Dawson's Creek. They always handled secret revelations with such style. Mommy, Mommy, I know about Mensa. I saw the divorce papers. You were married before daddy? Mom looked at me blankly. I swallowed my heartbeat. Once, twice. Father God, I know now I've made a terrible mistake and pray for you to deliver me from this imminent ass-whooping. I promise to never again follow Dawson Leary or any other false American teen idols who disrespect their parents and I will never... Yes, she said. It was as if I'd asked the most obvious question in the world. I stared at her. She turned back to a pot of yams on the stove. They weren't going to cook themselves.
0: Citizens of the new state of Ghana gather for the celebration marking their day of freedom from colonialism. What was once the Gold Coast, a British colony, now becomes an independent commonwealth. Vice President and Mrs. Nixon represent the United States at the three-day festivities. Native dances and games mark an event of historic importance since Ghana becomes the first Negro colony in Africa to gain its freedom. Premier Kwam Nkrumah catch with Representative Adam Clayton Powell of the U.S as Ghana's new army passes in review before the American-educated Premier and Deputy Secretary Ralph Bunch of the United Nations. Another feature of the occasion is a beauty contest in
2: which the... Ferris I was the last born of 10 children. The second, third, fourth and fifth, they all passed away. So that's why I became me. If they didn't pass away, I wouldn't even been born. So I was grateful them bringing me to this earth. I was very privileged. My father opened a lot of stores selling flour, selling rice, big bags. My father was doing import and shipping. I had a, a maid. You know, I went to good school, preparatory school, and in my household, you don't speak. We call it vernacular. Vernacular means your native language, you speak English. Most of the parents that were exposed to the white man felt like, hey, if you understand the white man's language, you'll be favored. When Kwame Nkrumah was overthrown, that's where everything went bad. I think it was 1966. My father had money and the government took everything. Everything, everything. We packed our things and we all went to the village. And he was never the same. From the city straight to village, when you go there, it was so dramatic because nobody understands you.
1: You didn't speak panty?
2: No, parents are so happy that their children are speaking English. So when you come home, they're speaking with you in, 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 in English. Even my mother was speaking to me in English. And, and she wasn't educated. She never went to school. Yeah. And everybody calling you Obroni, Obroni. They all surrounded you, listening to you.
1: Mom tells me that's how it was for most of primary and secondary school. Until she met a young man.
2: When he was very quiet and wouldn't even look at me, something told me to exploit. That's, that's where I am. The resistance attracts me. That was my first love. I really, really did love him. We would go to concert with no money and jump the wall, you know. So many stupid things, yeah. When I look back, that wasn't good for him because he took it to the extreme, yeah. You know, he even stole people's money so we can go out, with, which is not fun. He he wanted the baby. I didn't want the baby. I dropped out from college, and I, they took me to learn how to sew. So I finished my sewing. I have my kiosk out, you know. So you had your what? Kiosk, your kiosk. Yeah, I have apprentices. You know, things were going fine for me. Why should I have a child? You know. But then he felt insecure, and my parents wouldn't. They didn't want to see him.
1: So your parents didn't approve, and you had to listen? Yes, I have to listen. I have to listen. As my mom says the words, she visibly deflates, her eyes not meeting mine. It doesn't square at all with the woman who raised me, who always makes people listen to her. It's like I've accidentally walked in on her changing, and I want to cover her up until she's decent again. Those fights she'd have with Costco cashiers. All the dramatics. I was embarrassed. But I'd be lying if I said a small part of me didn't deeply appreciate it. How she stuck up for us. I'm invested in my mom being this ultra fierce protector. My protector. But she's more than that. She's more than my mom. So Agnes collects herself and continues her story.
2: When I had the baby, he was never there. And after after I finished having the baby, I left the baby for my mother. I left it with my mother, and I came back to Accra.
1: That little boy? My oldest brother, Sammy.
2: And when I came back, he did something very bad to me. I had a big chest that I put people's clothes in there. He took all the clothes away and burned them. I called the police and
1: went to jail. Thanks to Joseph, Agnes, who had a brand new baby to take care of, was now $400 in debt. Big money in the 70s, and even bigger in Ghana, where, at the time, the price of the cocoa crop was cratering and the economy was falling apart. But what choice did she have other than to start all over?
2: I was in my kiosk, sewing, and this guy had a, a thunderbird, American A car. thunderbird? Yeah. Oh, okay. White. And everybody looking at this car. This guy was looking at me. I was very tall, skinny, nice shape. And that was that evening, he sent somebody to come and pick me up so we can go to a club. And so I said, no, I have a little baby, what can I do, you know? He said, no, 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 I'll get somebody to babysit. So he was here for two weeks, only two weeks. And that's where, that's where it started.
1: Mensah, AKA the dude from the divorce papers. Yeah, this is him.
2: Right away he wanted to marry me. It was so fast. I was in a relationship that was going sour. And here comes somebody who wants to marry me and take me to America. Why would I say no? And, I I mean, he he wasn't my ideal person, but he was a good, okay, man. And he had the money. Were you attracted to him? No. He came back a year's time to marry me and start firing the
1: papers for me. Agnes was going to New York, leaving Ghana and her unstable ex-boyfriend behind. But what about the baby? He's barely two years old. She'd leave him, too.
2: I didn't feel guilty at all. For what? Not even uh, one guilt, no. I have a new life. I'm going to make life for my, me and my child. It's a new adventure. What, 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 what did I have here? Nothing. And I didn't know what he, he would come to do to me. You know, this is a madman walking around. I don't know what he would do to me and my child.
1: So you saw it as a way to provide? Oh, for my
2: family, for my relatives, everybody. Going to America those days? It's like, it's like, it's like, you know, a pot of honey dripping into your mouth. You do, it's, it's beautiful. You have to focus.
1: So she did. In 1978, Agnes packed her bags and left her kid with her sister, boarded her first-ever plane, destination JFK, and settled in with Mensa's sisters in the Bronx, waiting for a man she barely knew to return from an international business trip. She waited for months, scraping together money to send to her a family in Ghana from a job taking care of elderly white women. But she would never see Mensa again. He called one day to tell her that he'd gotten caught up in some shady business that somehow led to his denaturalization and deportation. Luckily, Agnes had just gotten her green card, but without Mensa's money, her place in America felt a lot less secure, until she went to a party and met someone new.
2: I want somebody to build a life with. This guy had a good job, so I said, okay. It wasn't love at first sight. No, 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 because he was skinny like this. I felt sorry for him. Skinny oh, like what? Huh? Skinny.
1: My dad, Kwabna. Mean? He have, he By that point, he'd been living in New York for a decade but, and loved the disco scene.
2: He was a you know, womanizer. Yeah, no, He was a womanizer. No, uh, wasn't he talking I would see one or two friends, but... You know, like, those, those years were, like we said, party, party, party time. Daddy throws party all the time. And Daddy will give them what they want. Okay. hex No, 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 okay. Drugs. Okay. Drugs. So when he is having a party, the place is filled up.
1: Daddy, drugs? How did yeah. you get the drugs? Those days, those it's, days it's not like it wasn't harmful. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? It's not like this is the 70s and, and cocaine doesn't kill you. No, what are you talking about?
2: In the, eight, in the 70s, yeah, in the late 70s. Yeah, the 70s. It was okay. Yeah, yeah it was in hard. the house. I didn't, I didn't care for it. Now, I, I think that's what people were doing. I think, there were a lot of going with people out there having fun.
1: It wasn't all fun for Kwabna, though. He was always working. In a bottling factory, as a data clerk, at a bank... He was on his hustle and tried to keep his head down because, as Agnes would soon learn, he was stuck in the U.S. His immigration status had been dicey for years, and he had a hard time opening up to new people. Even a good friend might rat you out to the authorities if you pissed them off enough.
2: You lose everything. Your mind is shattered. All your dreams, you have to start over. But where are you going to start from?
1: Distrust emanated from his eyes as he leaned against the wall in a dim, crowded apartment, tapping a foot to Donna Summer and sizing up Agnes.
2: And then he started questioning me. Oh, my goodness. Questioning me like, you know, I was in court.
1: Because papers, who had them, who didn't, were all that mattered.
2: I think I had... Three Jamaicans that they were fighting over me because they knew I had papers. The papers
1: how were the more one?
2: Mm.
1: But then you must have felt so used. What?
2: No, you know what it is. You you were grateful. I was grateful that I had that, that I had papers before I came there because I didn't know how much it worth. Yeah, mm. unless you did. Yeah. So you don't you don't because you know people are suffering. Some, you, she, he was in America for how long? He hasn't seen his father, his mother. I mean, you can't travel.
1: It was like 10 years by that point. I think.
2: Yeah. So I felt sorry for all of them. If I could have done it for all of them, I would have done it. I felt sorry because I didn't, I didn't know what I had was that powerful.
1: So Agnes decided to help him get a green card. It was only after they actually started getting to know each other that their relationship evolved from a business arrangement into something more.
2: He was not serious at all. I remember, you know, let me tell you the song that I knew that he was serious. That time, uh, make that move right now, baby. He was singing it all the time. He even bought me the record. I said, what is it? That means he wants to make the move right now. Oh, you like that song? No, no <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, he used to sing it all the time. Yeah. Make that move right now. I don't yeah, remember. Down,
1: Things were on the up-and-up for Agnes. A good man, a nice apartment. She started filling the paperwork for her little boy to join her in New York. And then she snagged the job she'd have for the next 30 years.
2: Grand Hyde Hotel was reopened by Donald Trump and his wife July 1980. And I was one of the first people to start working there. So uh, Trump gave you a job. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> it was on 42nd Street and Lexington Avenue. Everything was uh, high and with blue glasses all over. There was, no, there was no concrete. Every day, reporters come to the hotel. It was very dramatic. I remember being in the room with Ivan, uh, 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 his wife. Ivan, Ivan, Yeah! When he comes here, he goes to the management side. But the wife is the one who oversee the rooms. So believe me, we were sitting there talking and everything she was telling her. Yeah. I was proud to be a New Yorker. I was proud to be a-, a Grand Hyde employee. And I was proud to be an
1: immigrant that has made it. But the feeling of security didn't last long. So, yeah. ICE would come to your work? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or not ICE, but the yeah. immigration. The immigration, yeah. Do you yeah. remember yeah. one time? What happened? One
2: time. And you know, this is a big hotel here. You know where I, I used to work. The locker room is there. Three Ghanaian girls were coming down. I said, Oh, can I talk to you? No, 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 no. You don't know what is going on. They got dressed and ran away. People were coming down in, in, in droves, picking their things and going. Security don't know what is going on. Mm. Human resources don't know what is going on. Immigration came to uh, uh, concierge.
1: To the concierge?
2: Yes. And so one of the concierge lady sent somebody to go tell all the housekeepers. And if you see the dishwashers, the waitresses, people were going through the front door, hitting themselves.
1: Agnes had made it as an immigrant in America, which in that moment, meant that her past, present and future boiled down to a tiny box and her ability to check it. The all-important box would change over the years. Single or married. Renter or homeowner. Agnes worked hard to check them off and access the life she knew she deserved. But at some point, she began to tire of the boxes that were presented to her. She needed something bigger. Because, as she tells me the next morning at the apartments, Nobody wants to dream small.
2: It's hard, it's hard. Doing this wasn't easy. But if I have to do it all over again, I'll do it again. Because it makes you feel a part of society. I was in America working, but I could never do this in America. Where would I get the land? And this will cost me a fortune, I don't have the money. So I'm in some way that even people see me as a rich person. In America, who the hell am I? I'm nobody. Nobody even cares, you know. And it's like they said in Shakespeare, we are all on the stage. Everybody wants to perform. Everybody wants to get an Oscar. I can't get it there, but I'm getting it here. And I'm smiling because I perform. you know that we tired. We are here. And unfortunately, I don't have anybody here, all my children are all in America. So, what is it having all this and I don't have anybody whom I can rely to take care of it, if in case I'm gone today. I have this big store downstairs. I was thinking, you can use it any way you want it to build an empire business store. You can, you can, you can have a, a school there to educate people about generism. You can, anything your heart desires.
1: A chance for me to be a player on the stage, to be somebody, to be seen. Who wouldn't want that? And what would a stage for me in Ghana look like? Shithole Country is written, narrated, and sound designed by me, Afia. These episodes were produced by me and Mark Pagan. Julie Shapiro and Audrey Martovich are our executive producers. Special thanks to Tanya Attention. Cover art by Cindy Sognoni. And music in these episodes includes I Know by Vincent Augustus and our theme song, Home, by Rhea Boss. For additional credits and context, especially for all of you history buffs out there, please check out the show notes on Radiotopia Presents.fm. You'll also find the other five episodes in this eight-part series. The next one up is number four, and it's titled LVMH. Big thank you to my endlessly patient family, supportive friends, and brilliant professional mentors. You know who you are.
0: This series gets wild, weird, and real. You can find out what happens next heading over to your favorite podcast directory or radiotopiapresents.fm to devour the rest of shithole country. and if have more about this show on our website, snapjudgment.org. Well, now, you know this is not the news. No way is this the news. In fact, you're going to have your place of birth disparaged by the leader of the free world, and you would still, even then, not be as far away from the news as this is. But this is P.R.